each and every one of you. Amen. Let's all stand. We have an opportunity tonight to receive something good from Jesus Christ. Amen. That is indeed why we are here, isn't it? Amen. To receive of Him and to facilitate somebody else receiving from Him. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray for our service. We're continuing to pray for those that we've prayed for this Sunday. Please continue to remember as many of those as you can. We, uh, when we pray, you know, it's, it's nice when someone asks you to pray for them that, you know, you kind of, Jesus touched the situation and, and you can text back and say, yep, praying for you. But uh, hopefully we, we take these a little bit more seriously than that. And, and the reason I say that is because I mean, I, I'm guilty of that. Maybe you are too. Uh, we get busy. Things fall by the wayside. But prayer is a, it's such an important office for us to, to exercise. And if we will take that office seriously, if we will apply ourselves to be men and women of prayer, a church of prayer, then we can expect to see God answer these prayers. Amen. And... <laughs> Call me selfish, but isn't that why we pray in the first place? We want an answer from God. Amen. Things that we just are powerless to take care of. We take those to God because He's not. He can take care of those for us. And not just for us, but for those, our loved ones, other people that we've been praying for, people that need desperately an answer from God. So let's continue to pray for these. Let's pray for our service. God has a plan again for this. I know it's Wednesday. That doesn't matter. God can do something awesome here. I know, ex- I know expectations, they, they vary from service to service. Traditionally, uh, I would encourage you to keep your expectations high at every service. Because God is the same God in every service. He's wanting to do something in every service. So let's... Let's expect awesome things of an awesome God, not just on Sunday, not even just on Wednesday, but every day of the week, every time we go to Him in prayer. Let's expect something great. God wants to do so much. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so excited to be entering into Your presence this evening with my brothers and sisters, to enjoy the presence of God, to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. You have been so good to us this week, thus far. You have been so good to us today. Hallelujah, Jesus. We continue to expect awesome things of an awesome God, not because we've done anything to to earn or to purchase good things from You, but it is Your desire to give good gifts to Your children. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for You. I'm so thankful for every good gift that we receive of You. Thank You, Lord, for everything that You have in store for us this evening. I thank You, Lord, that You've heard our cries, You've heard our prayers concerning these varied situations. And we will continue to bring these names before You in prayer, expecting an answer of You. Hallelujah, Jesus, because we stand on the Word of God this evening. 
We stand on the covenant promises that you've given us. Thank you, Jesus, for your manifest presence here. Thank you, Jesus, that your will is going to be manifest in this place and in our lives this week. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor unto you this evening. We worship and we praise our Creator. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your so great faithfulness. You are great, and you are greatly to be praised. Minister to each need here tonight, I pray. Those joining us online, meet with them wherever they're at and minister to their needs as well. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Praise God, praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Thank you so much. You can be seated this evening. Amen. Starting tonight on Wednesdays, we're going to uh, we're going to do a new uh, series. Thank you. We're going to get this going. It's going to it's starting hard, but we'll break it loose. We're going to start a new series uh, on doctrine. Now, I don't believe that there are too many people here that are completely ignorant of doctrine. Uh, that's not why we're doing this. Uh, but to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Amen. And also, uh, you've never heard doctrine from me. So, this is an opportunity for me. Amen. I'm excited. I love doctrine. I love the Word of God. I know I'm in good company tonight. Amen. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. In any study of doctrine, or any study having anything to do with creation or reality, to be honest, we've got to start with the Word of God. That's where it starts, because everything started literally with the Word of God. And God said... And it popped into existence. God didn't create anything, we've said before, out of dirt from someone else. Dirt that was laying around. He made his own dirt. He made his own material. And he created everything out of that. So understanding this, I mean, we could go into uh, the best study of doctrine, the best study of the Word of God that you've ever heard. But if we don't have settled in our hearts that the Word of God has authority in our lives, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference, does it? Because if the Word of God is not authoritative, if it is not allowed to speak to me and tell me how I'm supposed to live, if it's not allowed to do that, if it's just another good book, then we're already wasting our time here. But if it does have authority then we are responsible to know what it says. And we are responsible to do what it says. So, as we believe that the Word of God is authoritative, and why is that, by the way? Because of 
Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's why. If everything is God's, because He made it, if this is indeed God's house, then we need to follow God's rules. Unfortunately for you, Unfortunately for you, if that's a problem for you, there's no other house to live in. His is the only house in in town. It's the only house available. This universe. I know there's multiverse theories and infinite universe theories. (laughs) There's also a theory that there's a Santa Claus and a tooth fairy. Uh, Those are theories too. This is the only universe. This is the only creation. And God owns it. Therefore, He has all authority in this creation. That means God's Word has all authority. It carries the authority of God. And we read in John 1, 1, the Word is God. They're synonymous. They're one and the same. I haven't heard this personally, but... I've come to understand that there are people that believe this way. They'll say things like, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I serve Jesus. I don't serve a book. And all I can think of is, how do you do that? They're the same. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. Okay, Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says this, That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now I have heard people say that the Bible is authoritative in to what it's speaking to. It speaks to matters concerning faith and religion and and things like that. So it's authoritative there, but it doesn't carry any real authority anywhere else. And i I got to call bunk on that. And here's why. The Scripture says, In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything that we understand about reality comes ultimately from God. Well, what about the War of 1812? Is that found in the Bible? What about a recipe for bran muffins? Can I learn that in Scripture? Can I learn how to fix my car? From the Bible. But this just said, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Well, that's absolutely true. If we don't acknowledge Scripture, if we don't acknowledge the Word of God, and we've we've done lessons on this before, I don't have time to, to go into it again, but the conclusion of the matter is this. If we don't acknowledge that the Word of God is true, and it is foundationally true, it's absolutely true, from cover to cover, if we don't acknowledge that, we can't know anything about reality. Everything else leads then to absurdity. 
Nothing else can be real. Nothing else can be ultimately known if the Word of God is not true. If you need a refresher on that, go back to the lessons, talk to me after service, because what I just said is absolutely true. But I can't explain why. We've got a lot to cover. Before we get into uh, the Word of God, which is what I want to touch on tonight, uh, let's talk about doctrine first in general. What is doctrine? Uh, according to the Open Bible Sense Lexicon, doctrine is, quote, a belief or system of beliefs accepted as authoritative by some group or school. Christians accept the Bible and therefore biblical doctrine as authoritative because of who gave it to us. And we just covered that. We understand that the Bible has absolute authority because God has absolute authority. And this is God's Word. According to the New Bible Dictionary, 3rd edition, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated as doctrine means what is received. The Hebrew word that refers to the idea of a body of revealed teaching is generally rendered as law. In the New Testament, there are also two words that are translated as doctrine. The first, meaning both the act and the, con the content of teaching. The second can mean that as well, but refers more specifically to the teachings of Jesus, which he claimed were divine. I hope we believe him tonight. They were divine teachings. We recognize the apostles' doctrine as being from God. Since we're talking about doctrine, we recognize specifically the apostles' doctrine. Acts 2 and 42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. I hope to touch a little bit more on that, if not tonight, in another lesson. The authority that the apostles had concerning the uh, writing doctrine, writing the Word of God. We are encouraged to obey doctrine as delivered to us in Scripture. We find in Romans 6:17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. So in a nutshell, we discover that doctrine is very important. We need to know it. We need to obey it. Okay. God's Word. John 1.1 1, 1 states that God's Word and God are one and the same. God's Word carries all the power and all the authority of God Himself. And God's Word contains everything that we need to know. This speaks to the sufficiency of Scripture, which we'll talk about more in depth here in a little bit. It lets us know how to make sure we're in proper covenant relationship with God at all times. Now this is perhaps the function that is most well known about the Bible. That it leads someone to salvation. And that is certainly the most important aspect of this. First and foremost, we need to be saved. We need to know how to be saved. And there is only one plan of salvation. God's plan. We're going to find, as we go through different doctrines, some of them may appeal to you, some of them may chafe you a little bit. That's the Word of God, folks. That's rubbing up against your humanity. Let it do that. Let it chafe it away. It's painful. It's not comfortable but it's necessary. Just let it go away. Okay? 
That's what the Word of God does. When we're going through these different doctrines, when we go through anything in Scripture, we have got to come to the place where we may not like it, we may not even understand why, but we recognize that we have to do it. And I'm going to state that several times tonight, and I'm going to do it unapologetically. The Word of God carries all the authority of God. He gets to tell us how to live. He gets to tell us what to do and what not to do. I'm sorry if people don't like that. I guess ultimately it's not my problem. That's between you and God. I'm going to do everything I can to, to get you to see where this is beneficial to you to submit yourself to the will and plan of God. But at the end of the day, the authority stands. And you can say no to God. You can live your life however you want. That's absolutely your call. But there's going to be an accounting, folks. You're going to give an account for how you lived your life. If you haven't lived it according to this book, To state it another way, you will disobey God at your peril, to your destruction. But that's your choice. The Word of God does, we find within it, God's plan of salvation. How do I enter into a covenant relationship with Him? It teaches me how to live this life in accordance with God's plan. After I enter into a covenant with Him, what then? What am I supposed to do after that? That's a good question. That's the second most important question that you could ever ask. What does God want? Why did He create me? What am I here for? All good questions. And we can find those answers in the Word of God. We can find those answers in prayer. We can find those answers from God. The Word of God tells us how to make sure that we spend eternity with Him. That we live our life according to God's plan. And that we are ready when Jesus comes back or Jesus takes us off of this mortal coil, that we're ready to go. That on that day, we can stand before Him clean, justified, righteous, and ready to spend eternity with Him. But God's Word contains even more than that. It contains all of our covenant promises. God's promise of forgiveness and salvation. That's all I've ever really needed. That's all anyone ever has really needed. Is to be saved, to be forgiven, to be cleansed from my sin, and to be made to be Christ-like. That's all I could have ever hoped for. But God gives us so much more than that. He'll provide all of our needs. He comforts us. He sticks by us no matter what. Every promise that He's given us is contained in the Word of God. The Word of God contains the revelation of who God is and what His will is for us. This gets into the idea of specific revelation versus general revelation. General revelation, we've learned, is creation. It's nature. We read about that in Romans 1. 
God reveals himself, his characteristics to all men everywhere through his creation. Through his creation, we can determine a lot about our creator, whoever that might be. The universe is a really big place. God must be really big. There's a lot of energy out there. He must be really powerful. We look at things like the DNA molecule, the natural laws of the universe. This, this creator must be a pretty smart individual. He must be really smart. But there's not a whole lot specifically that we can learn about God through creation. We can learn about him. We can learn some of his characteristics. But creation won't tell me his name. Creation won't tell me what he expects of me, if anything. Does he want a relationship with me, or is he uh, what they call the clock winder God? He just kind of wound up the universe, gave it some energy, and now he's gone. To let it run on its own. Is that the kind of creator we have? I don't know. I don't know that from this, this creation. But specific revelation gives all of that to us. It tells me who this creator is. It tells me more than who, just who he is, but what he's done. What he's done for me. It tells me that he does want a relationship with me. That he created me with love and with purpose for a reason. And that he's got a plan for my life. And at the end of all of it, he wants me to live with him forever. What an awesome thing that that is. But I can't learn any of that from just observing creation. For that I need scripture. For that I need the word of God. So we find that in his word. It contains the history of the entire universe. But it focuses specifically on the history of this one little planet. This blue speck, earth. God's word doesn't encompass every bit and scrap of knowledge in the universe. But it is a complete revelation of truth. Everything that we need to know, we find in God's Word. Everything else ultimately comes from God's Word, either directly or indirectly, through principle or through general revelation. Everything else comes from that. I worked with a girl once. Uh, she was a big Mills Fleet Farm person, big fan. And she would always tell me, if they don't have it, you don't need it. And... <laughs> I would say that if God's Word doesn't have it, you don't need it. You don't need to know it. It's always nice to know, but everything that you need is found in God's Word. In the Lexham Survey of Theology, I pulled this out of it because it's pretty relevant, and I quote, God's special revelation, the revelation of a saving purpose, takes many forms, some of them unwritten. But God also intends to give his revelation in permanent form. According to Genesis, the patriarchs erected memorials so that later generations could visit the places where God revealed himself to their ancestors. In the book of Exodus, when God consecrated Israel to be his special covenant people, he produced two stone tablets on which were ten commandments written by the very finger of God. Note that God was not only the author of these commandments, the commandments were his words expressed in the first person, but the publisher as well since he inscribed the commands by his own finger. The tablets were then placed in the holiest location in Israel, 
the inner court of the tabernacle and later the temple, underscoring the fact that as his very word, these documents partook of God's very holiness. This procedure was similar to the custom in other nations when a mighty emperor would make a treaty with a lesser king, putting it into writing and preserving it in a holy sanctuary. God gave more holy words through Israel's history. Words of God's inspired prophets were written down and added to the holy document. In the New Testament, we learn that Jesus and the apostles reverenced this document as God's word, and therefore as a document with ultimate authority. Further, Jesus appointed and equipped his apostles to speak with the same authority, an authority sometimes delegated by the apostles to others of their company, like Luke, James, and Jude. This authority extended to their writing. Today, all branches of the Christian church accept the Old Testament covenant document together with the New Testament words of Jesus and the apostles as the Bible. Indeed, the Holy Bible, the written word of God. As God's own word, the Bible is the supreme authority for all areas of human life. In both Testaments, God urges his people to reverence his holy written word as their ultimate criterion of truth. Amen. That's the Bible. It is our supreme authority. It's our constitution. It's our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is the ultimate criterion of truth. We've talked about this in other lessons. If we read something in Scripture, we need to come to it with the attitude of, what is God trying to say? What is God trying to tell me? Versus, I already know what He's trying to tell me. I'm just finding Scripture to confirm that. That's not the proper way to interpret Scripture. We need to let God speak to us through His Word. We need to let God reveal His truth to us. Understanding that we might know truth, we might not know truth. We know for sure God does. God is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I have to note that truth is singular there. There's only one truth. And Jesus is it. The Word of God is it. Okay, when referring to Scripture, there are different subdomains or different sub-doctrines of bibliology, if we can say it that way. Uh, we're going to go through each as we have time. I think we'll get through everything. The first is inspiration. And this is the divine action that creates an identity between a human word and a divine word. We'll expound more on each of these after we read through the list. Authority, we've touched on. The Bible's authority comes from its source, namely God, and governs all areas of human life. All areas of human life. Not just on Sundays. Not just on Wednesdays. But every day, the Bible governs us. Dictates to us what is right and what is wrong. Helps us to understand truth. How we should live our lives. There is a right... And there is a wrong. We all know that. Everybody out there and in here knows that. We just differ on what's right and what's wrong. As Christians, our source of right and wrong must always come from Scripture. It must always come from God's Word. I cannot stress that enough. I cannot stress how important that fact is. We find our truth from God's Word. Period. If anybody says anything else, I don't care who it is, 
I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. And he contradicts Scripture. He's lying. He's wrong. It doesn't matter who it is. If it's David Bernard, it doesn't matter. He's wrong if he contradicts what's found in God's Word. God's Word is where we find truth. Okay. Canon. Canon is, the recognized, is recognized generally as the divinely authorized collection of books that God has given to govern His people. Those books in our Bible today are recognized as canon. And we, talked more, we talked more in depth on that in another lesson uh, that we did on the origin of the Bible. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on that, uh, but not too in-depth. Clarity. We understand that the Bible is sufficiently clear to leave people no excuse for disobedience to the commandments of God. The Bible is easy to understand and accomplish those things that we are required to do. Sufficiency. We understand that the Bible contains all the divine instructions and principles necessary for human decisions. All human decisions are covered through Scripture. Necessity. God's Word is absolutely necessary, and without it, we simply cannot know any truth, specifically who God is and what He requires. Translation. As everybody does not speak every language, translation of God's Word from the original languages have been and continues to be necessary so that every person might understand who God is and what He requires. Unfortunately, everyone does not have a fluent knowledge of the original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. That would be awesome, though. That would be extremely awesome. Uh, but we need that translated generally into our own language. Thank God that we have those translations available to us. Interpretation. Helping people to understand and apply what thus saith the Lord. And rules of faith. Uh, we're not going to touch that on this lesson. We'll hit that in other lessons. So, the first one, inspiration. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In general vernacular, inspiration can mean many things. I was inspired to help you out today. That classical musical piece really inspires me. Sister Becker, you're my inspiration to keep going. And those are all true. But when we're talking about inspiration of Scripture, it means something a little bit different. Inspiration literally means God breathed. The same thing when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, he became a living soul. God speaks to us the words of life. The Word of God is inspired in that way. It's God-breathed. It comes directly from Him, from God. God's Word is given to us directly from God or through His chosen vessels. He gave us His Word from two tables of stone, from the preaching and writings of the prophets, from the words of Jesus, from the preaching and writings of the apostles. We have received from them God's Word, today in written form. That's what we mean when we talk about inspiration. It means God-breathed. Authority. Deuteronomy, chapter 8 and verse 11 says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes which I command thee this day. 
Okay, again, the authority of God's Word, we need to recognize it. We need to give it more than just a, an intellectual nod. We need to live as if it has the authority to tell us what to do. Because it does. The Word of God is our ultimate authority. God is the absolute and supreme authority in all of creation. He created everything ex nihilo. And that's important to understand. Out of nothing. Because if He appropriated someone else's dirt, then He's just a thief. He doesn't really own anything. But if He made it, it's His. Everything is God's. Including you. Including me. He created us too. God's Word is law. It's the supreme law, period. And we can recognize that or not. We can submit ourselves to it or not. But one day, this book is going to judge us. Whatever you've believed, however you've lived your life, it will judge us. So to the extent of my ability tonight, I would encourage you in the most vehement possible way. Give yourself to Scripture. Submit yourself to God's Word. Do what He says. Because we're going to be judged by it. Amen. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that by saving faith, quote, A Christian believeth to be true whatever is revealed in the Word for the authority of God Himself speaking therein, and acteth differently upon that which every particular passage thereof containeth. They love the King James. Yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life, and that which is to come. Succinct but well said. God's Word is the absolute authority in our lives. Truth. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. In God's Word, you're not going to find any human being's opinions on what is right and what is wrong. You're not going to find human beings' opinions on what is true and what is in error. All you're going to find is what God says. That's all we need to know. And it won't be just religious truth or spiritual truth, but it's all truth. General truth. Truth that spans all of reality. All of reality comes from God's Word. All of reality is sustained by God's Word. We understand that the Bible is inerrant. The inerrancy of Scripture. It it contains no errors. Not simply in the negative sense. There are no errors in the text. But the fact that because it's from God, it's impossible for there to be errors. God is perfect. God can't make a mistake. We can make mistakes. We can misinterpret Scripture. We cannot understand what God is trying to tell us. But there's no, er- there's no errors in Scripture because it comes directly from God. Well, what if we find something that contradicts Scripture? 
People do, supposedly. And not just, not just internal contradictions, but uh, there was one that, that comes to the top of my head. Uh, archaeology. People were skeptical about the story of Abraham coming from Ur of Chaldees because they haven't found Ur of Chaldees yet. They were skeptical of it because there's no archaeological evidence of this city until there was. And then they, they found it. They dug it up. And yeah, so, you know, that kind of got rust under the, the carpet. So, my point is this. Everybody has ultimate truth. Everybody has a source of foundational ultimate truth that they subscribe to. And they do so by faith. Whether it's atheism, deism, Buddhism, uh, Christianity, theism, however you want to say it in general. But everybody subscribes to some form of ultimate truth. Even those that believe there is no truth, or you can't discover truth, already contradicted themselves. Is that statement true? If it's true, then you're wrong. Anyway, they're fun. <laughs> but anyway, everybody does. And we subscribe to the foundational truth of Scripture. We do so by faith. I can't scientifically prove that everything in Scripture is absolutely true all the time. But neither can they prove their foundational belief systems. Ultimately, we accept those on faith. And here's why. We don't have time in our small little lives to scientifically verify every single piece of information that comes across our, our desk. We can't do it. At some point, we just have to accept something is true or false because we don't have time. If I spent my whole life just verifying, running every source of information down to its logical conclusion... I wouldn't have time for anything else. And I still wouldn't get it done. So as human beings, we simply accept things as true, ultimately, foundationally. As Christians, we accept Scripture as, as that. Now, we have reasons that we do that. And again, we've talked about all of this. Ours is a reasonable faith. It's not a blind faith. Don't ever believe for one second that as a Christian, ah, I just believe, I'm just... I'm just in faith believing, I have no idea why, but it's, it's just true because I feel Jesus and, and we're, we're just having a good time here at church. Glad you're having a good time. Glad you feel Jesus. But you're wrong. There are reasons to believe what you believe. There are very good reasons. Better reasons than anyone else has to believe their systems. <clears throat> Anyway, no. <clears throat> if we read something in Scripture and we become convinced that well, this isn't really true then, this has proven it false, this is contradicting it, no one's founder of Chaldees, so this, can't, this part can't be true. If we're doing that, we've already discredited the Bible as being foundationally true because we're judging this truth on some higher truth that we've subscribed to. 
whatever that is, scientific inquiry, the scientific method, uh, whatever, some weird logical system, I don't know. But if you're looking at Scripture and judging it as true or false, you've already, you've already discarded Scripture as being foundationally true. You have another truth that you subscribe to, and the Bible isn't it. You may believe the Bible as long as it coincides with your belief system, and there are Christians that do this, but as soon as you find something that contradicts, you're going to keep your belief system at the expense of Scripture. Don't do that. You throw out the belief system and you keep Scripture. Scripture is our belief system. Scripture is our foundation of truth. Okay. I wish people would apply their criticisms equally. They come, they come at the Bible with both barrels. And fair enough. I mean, it's important to be persuaded. It's going to stand up to whatever you got for it. I promise you that. But, they're very liberal when it comes to pretty much everything else. And I have a problem with that. Moving on. Canon. Luke 24:44 says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. In a couple portions of Scripture, we see Jesus, we see the apostles quoting from different books of the Old Testament, confirming to us that they are indeed God-breathed, that they are delivered to us from God. Because Jesus, because the apostles, they recognize these Old Testament Scriptures as canon. They recognize them as being God's Word. It's these writings and only these writings that have all the characteristics of God's Word i.e., being authoritative, having all of these other characteristics. Other writers have, through ignorance, deception, or just plain maliciousness, written works and passed them off as coming from God, when they were most certainly not from God. And that's the main reason that we need canon. We need a recognized collection that, that we understand and we know this is God's Word. Because unfortunately, there are people out there, there are spirits behind those people out there who want to water down the Word of God. They want to uh, completely rewrite the Word of God. Uh, they want to add to, they want to take away. And we need the Word of God. We need all of it. No more, no less. That's what we need. So we need to recognize that. Okay, so because of this, it becomes necessary to differentiate between God's Word and the work of men. In the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles referred to this canon of documents as the Holy Scriptures. Later, the apostles wrote more documents under the unction of the Holy Ghost, and today they are recognized as the New Testament portion of the Bible. Okay, when it comes to canon, when it comes to a lot of things about Scripture, there is some controversy as to which books are recognized as God's Word and which ones were rejected. The Apocrypha always comes to mind. If you haven't heard of the Apocrypha, uh, look it up or you can talk to me after church. I believe the Catholic Church still includes that in their Bible. I don't know that for sure. 
I know they used to. Uh, those are extra biblical books, First and Second Edris, um, Bell and the Dragon. Uh, there are other ones. <clears throat> there is a very stringent, strict process. I'm not going to go into that. We've done that in other lessons. How, how canon was determined, how some books were accepted, others were rejected. It was a very stringent process, and uh, that process was, was followed strictly, but I would say we cannot, after all of that, discredit the leading of the Holy Ghost in all of this. It, it has always been God's will for us to have His Word. This is His revelation to us. If it is this important, if it is that important to have God's Word, to know it, to understand it, and to submit ourselves to it, then wouldn't you think God would want us to possess it? He does want us to possess it. And so I can't but imagine at the end of the day that He made sure that that was going to take place. If you look at the, the whole history of it, it's miracle after miracle after miracle that we have anything at all concerning Scripture. But He protected it the whole way through. It's awesome. John 10 and 27 says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. So again, when looking at what is the Word of God and what is not, prayer and the leading of the Holy Ghost play a significant portion in this. When we're reading something, as Holy Ghost-filled believers, we need, we need to, to be able to recognize His voice. We need to be able to do that. You're not going to know God's voice if you're not intimate with Him, if you have a passing relationship with Him. Because there are a lot of voices out there, folks. A lot of them. And only one is Jesus. We need to hear the voice of the shepherd. Amen. Clarity. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14 says this, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word of God is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. When we read Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, the Bible is referring to general revelation, creation. It says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, my question is this. If general revelation is this clear and this specific, how much more clear and specific is special revelation going to be to us? It's going to be that much clearer. The clarity of Scripture is a doctrine uh, that we believe in, that we trust in. When we... Open the Word of God, we can understand it. Children can understand the Word of God. 
Now, there are parts of Scripture, uh, it can be argued, that are easier to understand than others. We understand as small children, for God so loved the world that He gave. We understand that. And that's very important to understand. We may not understand Daniel's 70th week at this point in time. Whatever that is. But the things that we do need to understand, we will understand. There are things in Scripture that, I mean, if you look at the Old Testament book of Leviticus, there's, there's some fun stuff in there. A lot of good stuff. I mean that. It's good stuff. But it's maybe not quite as easy to understand as some other parts of Scripture. So, there is that. But everything we need to understand, we're going to understand. And if you don't, if you, for whatever reason, don't, I promise you this. When we struggle with Scripture... We struggle with understanding. It's always on our end. Not God's. Not not Scripture. Scripture is easy if we come to it simply. If we come to it openly. Transparently. God, speak to me. What are you trying to tell me here? What's the proper understanding? What, What are you trying to convey to me in this passage of Scripture? When we come like that and we ask God for understanding, we're going to have understanding. God's going to give it to us. He didn't give it to us as some treasure map that we have to figure out. That wasn't God's purpose. So if we're struggling with something, I would look at these possibilities. There's sin in your life. You're looking for an excuse to cover up sin. So you're kind of having some problem with this the scripture here. The condition of our heart. Our hearts lie to us. It tells us we're right when we're not. It tells us we're wrong when we're not. Or it could be simple rebellion and stubbornness, not wanting to submit ourselves to the authority of scripture. But if we come simply and we ask... God is very happy to give us understanding. He wants that. He wants us to have that. You don't understand the these and the thous. The good old King James English. Now, as you know, I'm a fan of the King James. I love the King James. I love how it sounds. I like the these and thous. I didn't understand the these and thous when I first got into church. I learned. I applied myself, and I'm not saying that boastingly, I'm not saying that arrogantly or condescendingly, but I always encourage people, if you're at this level here, don't drop down here because it's easier. Stretch a little bit and try to get up here, whatever that might mean. There is or was a translation. Uh, does anybody remember the word ebonics? 
There was an Ebonics translation a while back. And I had to read some of it because I was just morbidly curious. <clears throat> it was a dumpster fire. Okay? That's all I can say about it. Jesus was J.C. And that that's the only thing that really sticks out to my mind right now. But, I mean, it was it was just bad. It was bad. But it was in the vernacular that people spoke of the day. I don't know what method was used to translate that. I don't know if it was a committee of theologians who were fluent in the original Hebrew and Greek and Ebonics. I don't know any of that. But I would have encouraged them as well. Stretch a little bit. Come up here. And then when you're here, keep stretching. Keep climbing. When God meets us, He doesn't come down to where we're at and get comfy. He's up here bringing us up. Right? He's calling us up. Picking us up out of the miry clay. He wants us to get better. He wants us to to excel, to grow, to mature, to ultimately be like Him. I promise you, Jesus isn't down here. Jesus is way up here. And that's where He wants all of us. So when it comes to anything, I always encourage people, especially when it comes to the Word of God. Yeah, when you're starting out, find a translation that's easy to understand for you. The ESV is good. The... the uh, the NASB is, is pretty good. Um, I might have given the impression that I am uh, a KJV only guy, uh, and I hate every other translation. Uh, that's that's not true. Okay, I I don't hate every other translation. As a general rule, I am very wary. Of scripture, I want to know how it was translated. I want to know what the process was. I want to know what original documents were used. I want to know all of that because this is important to me. This is the most important thing in my life: is adherence to scripture. And I'm certainly not there yet. I hope I'm a little closer every day. But if I have errant information, how can I how can I please God? How can I how can I make sure that I'm lined up to His word when I'm not following His word? I'm following something else. I need to be persuaded. I need to know, and to the extent possible, I know that the Bible I'm using is good, and I I know there are others, but I just haven't I haven't done the research. I haven't I haven't done all of that with other translations so i use them i compare with them i mean you can get saved out of them there's probably nothing wrong with them but as a general rule just be careful just be careful this is god's word we're talking about don't play fast and loose with it all right Uh, sufficiency second timothy 3 16 and 7 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible is altogether sufficient to perfect every person in the entire world that's ever lived, wherever you're at. It's sufficient to do that. The Word of God is sufficient to equip every person to every good work. Again, the Westminster Confession of Faith says this, Quote, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Unquote. Okay, so, again, everything we need is found in Scripture. It is sufficient to do everything that God desires through His Word. It stands in stark contrast to religious traditionalism, intellectual flavors of the month, that seem so prevalent in our churches today. Now, I understand. I mean, there's... In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with tradition, okay? As long as it lines up with Scripture, as long as we're preaching truth, I don't care. It's good. Um... Good enough. But, they're not doctrine. Tradition isn't doctrine. Tradition isn't scripture. It's not a salvation issue. There are plenty of people using the word of God in Chinese prisons. They're not sitting on a pew. They don't have the organ pumping out three songs before second service. But people are getting saved by the droves in Chinese prisons. Okay, just one case in point. I love the building. I love the services that we attend. But we don't find any of that in Scripture. Okay, nothing wrong with this. We're going to keep doing it as long as we can. But it's not scriptural, specifically found in Scripture. So that's my point. And if the time comes where they kick us out or throw us in prison, we're still going to have church. We're still going to preach the gospel. We're still going to preach the word of God. It works just fine outside of here. It works just fine in our homes. It works just fine at the, at the workplace. It works fine everywhere. The Bible's necessity Deuteronomy 8 and 3 says, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Okay, uh, we read a little bit uh, earlier about the relationship between a greater king and a conquered king. The greater king will issue a, a covenant or a treaty with the lesser king, and they're going to keep... Two copies. One copy is going to be uh, with the greater king. The other one's going to be with the lesser king. And so uh, the lesser king is to submit themselves to that. They're the vassal. They're going to submit themselves to that covenant or that treaty, that contract. And if at any point they break it, they're at war. That's how it worked. They submitted themselves to the covenant. They didn't have authority to line item veto the covenant. Just a yes or no. Kind of like the one God gives us, right? 
We can't line item veto scripture. People do it all the time. But they don't have the authority to do that. We say yes or no. That's it. That treaty or constitution was necessary to the relationship that those kings had. No treaty, no covenant. No treaty, no Lord. To obey God, Israel must obey His word. To love God, Israel must love His word. God instituted the same covenant with the nation of Israel, giving them His Ten Commandments, His covenant. And where did they keep it? In their holiest place. In the Ark of the Covenant. Many times in the Old Testament we read God speaking to Israel, If you love me and keep my commandments. If you love me and keep my commandments. They seem inseparable. That's found all through the Old Testament. Culminating in John 14, 15, where Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. He's got a real thing about this, doesn't he? This seems to be stuck in his mind. If we're going to love God, we are going to obey God. My wife already knows what I'm thinking. (laughs) In another church that we were in, there was this couple, good couple. We were friends with them, loved them to death. But they, uh, they started having some issues. And... The pastor's wife was uh, kind of fond of them as well, I think. And they told us, we were talking about them, and uh, she said, oh, they, they love God, they just have a problem with obedience. And I was like, you know, the record, <clears throat> what? <laughs> I didn't say anything. It was the pastor's wife. Okay. But... That's, that, no, that's not true. You may think you do. I thought I loved God before I got in church. If you asked me, I'd have said, absolutely I love God. I'm a Lutheran. I've been confirmed. Of course I love God. Well, how are you living? Like trash. <laughs> that's how I'm living. But I love God. I just have a problem with obeying Scripture, that's all. No, I don't love God. If I'm not obedient to Scripture, I don't love God. I don't care what you say. I don't care, I don't care what kind of nice ribbon you put on it. I don't care what wrapping you put on it. You don't love God if you're not submitted to Him. Period. Uh, sorry about that. That's Scripture. That, that's what God tells us. If we're going to love Him, we're going to obey Him. We've got to be obedient to Him. I'm already over. Okay. Uh, I got too much. Okay, let's all stand. We'll finish it next week. But to get back to the topic we were on, the Bible's necessity... Without Scripture, we got nothing. We have no plan of salvation. We have no relationship with God. We have no understanding of who God is. We have nothing. 
without Scripture. It is absolutely necessary. Not just for our spiritual well-being, but for understanding anything about creation, anything about reality. Scripture is absolutely necessary. Amen. We'll finish this next week, uh, and we'll move on. Amen. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. I am so thankful for your so great salvation. I'm so thankful that you delivered unto us truth. You delivered unto us the very word of God. Not only have you done that, Lord Jesus, but you've done so perfectly. You've done so inerrantly. And you've done so in a manner in which we can easily understand it. And we can readily do it. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. It is our desire. It is our earnest, fervent desire to submit ourselves to you tonight. To be obedient to your word, to your voice. Hallelujah, Jesus, because we love you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and so we're going to obey you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless the people of God present here. Bless those watching online. Bring us back to the house of God, I pray, at the day appointed. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. You're dismissed.